Welcome back to Science Redemption Radio Network. Today we'll be reading Chapter 3 of the Teachings of the Doctrine of Eternal Lives. The title of the chapter is called Prayer, the the Key to Greater Knowledge. King David of Israel Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Psalms chapter 19 verse 14 King David Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to my words. Give ear to the words of my mouth. Psalm chapter 54 verse 2 Joseph Smith The best way to obtain truth and wisdom is not to ask it from books, but to go to God in prayer and obtain divine teachings. History of the Church, Volume 4, page 425. Let's see here. In Alma, chapter 26, verse 22. Yea, he that repenteth and exerciseth faith, and bringeth forth good works, and prayeth continually without ceasing, unto such it is given to know the mysteries of God. Yea, unto such it shall be given to reveal things which never have been revealed. Alma 26, verse 22. Let me just... I want to read that again because I want people to really get this. Yea, he that repenteth... What Now, what does it mean to repent? In Hebrew, the word to repent means to turn back to God. Turn back to what God has commanded. Turn back to God's ways. And in that doing and turning back to God's, you're exercising faith and bringing forth good works. But then what else do you do? You pray continually without ceasing. Now, you don't have to be on your knees 24-7 praying ceasing, un, without ceasing. A hymn is a prayer unto God. Good Christian music is a prayer unto God. Um, I used to turn on like classical music or light jazz and I used to just ponder things. Sometimes I would turn on classical music or light jazz or something easy and I would just listen to the scriptures with the music in the background. Keeping your mind continually focused on God, I think that's what it means to pray without ceasing. To get into a spiritual mindset is what is praying without ceasing. Because we all wake up every single way, every single day, and we are in a temporal mindset, and like. When people will wake up and then they'll do all their stuff and they're just getting ready and they're so in a hurry all the time and 
and then they wait till night to like have a scripture study or pray or whatever like they're waiting through the whole day to get in a, a frame of a spiritual mindset and in order for the spirit to help us out through the day we've got to get into that quicker and sooner when I was on my mission we used to get up at like 6 in the morning or something like that and then from like 6.30 to 7 we would have personal study time and then from 7.30 to 8 we would have like companionship study time but doing stuff like that got us in a spiritual mindset so that the spirit could bring all things to our remembrance so the spirit would help us as we were talking to individuals about about God and the gospel you know and like I know that it's hard to do those sorts of things when you've got a family um, or you've got a bunch of stuff going on, you know, and you're trying to get ready for work or whatever you're doing. But you can listen to general conference talks. You can listen to people talking about the gospel. You can listen to scripture. You can listen to Christian music that keeps your mind continually focused on Christ and the gospel. You can listen to hymns and get in your mind, get your mind in that that mindset so that as you do these things and as you're continually turning to God, in time he's going to start to trust you and he's going to start to show you things. Especially as you're studying and you're asking about things, like he'll reveal things to you. And it's kind of like the more time you spend at the gym, the more strong you get. Especially if you're applying the work, you know, the weight. And like, I know a lot of people who are like, they want the mysteries, they want the second comforter, they want the baptism of fire. But what are they doing to get it? Or are they trying to push for it and they're neglecting the needful things? Are they neglecting the works? Because, like, I didn't get the baptism of fire because I was pushing for it. In fact, I was at a disadvantage, I think. I didn't even know what it was. And you know what? When it happened... I was like, what is this? You know, like it, it overwhelmed me. And I was like, what's going on? Like, it was a lot, you know, I was kind of a little bit scared. I was like, what's going on? You know, but like I, and I've had many a baptisms of fire over the years, but like when, when the big one happened, it was a lot and I wasn't ready for it. But I wasn't looking for it either. But I know a lot of people are looking for it now. And I think that if they were wise, they would ask for it. You know, I asked what it meant to have your calling and election made sure from 1997 all the way up until 2003. And... 
I wasn't getting an answer. And then I did get an answer, and then I got my calling election. But I wasn't asking God to have it. I was asking him what it was and how how do you obtain it? And, like, what does it mean? You know, things like that. Anyway, I just think that as we go forth and we do good works and we continually keep our mind and our heart centered on Christ and try to do what he's asked us to do and we ask him about things he'll give us more information but I think that as we do those things like we can ask but trying to press him to giving us our calling and election or the second comforter or anything like that I just I think that there's something wrong with that but I know people do it but that's why I'm addressing this right now Joseph Smith taught that having a knowledge of God, we begin to know how to approach him, how to ask so as to receive an answer. Of course, here's my commentary. Just because we ask doesn't mean we receive an answer. Sometimes we don't obtain an answer because we haven't studied it outright. Or we're adding too much stuff into the question. Or maybe, like I said, you know, it took me like six or seven years to get an answer about what it meant to have my calling an election. And there was a timing to that. But anyway, continuing on with Joseph Smith, he says, when we When we understand the character of God and know how to come to him... He begins to unfold the heavens to us and tell us all about it. When we are ready to come to him, he is ready to come to us. And that's Joseph Smith and Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 349. In the Doctrine and Covenants, it says, If thou shalt ask, thou shalt receive revelation upon revelation, knowledge upon knowledge, that thou mayest know the mysteries and peaceable things of God, that which bringeth joy, that which bringeth life eternal. Doctrine and Covenants, section 42, verse 61. Joseph Smith, he spoke of delivering the keys of the priesthood to the church, and said that the faithful members of the Relief Society should receive them with their husbands, that the saints whose integrity has been tried and proved faithful might know how to ask the Lord and receive the an- an answer. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 226. See also Doctrine and Covenants, section 124, verses 94 and 97. And since he suggested it, I'm just going to read it. DNC section 124, verse 94 says, From this time forth I will appoint unto unto him that he may be a prophet and a seer and a revelator unto my church, as well as my servant Joseph. Okay, who is this he's talking about? Oh, it's talking about Hiram. Okay, so I'm going to go back to verse 91 and read it from there. 
because I want context to this. This revelation was given January 18th, 1841. And we're going to go to verse 91. And again, very way I say unto you, let my servant William be appointed, ordained, and anointed as counselor unto my servant Joseph in the room of my servant Hiram, that my servant Hiram may take the office of priesthood and patriarch, which is appointed unto him by his father, and be be blessing and also by right, or by blessing and also by right, that from thenceforth he shall hold the keys of the patriarchal blessings upon the heads of all of my people. Because there used to be a, a office in the church called the, the Patriarch of the Church. Not just a stake patriarch. They actually did that away when Eldridge G. Smith um, questioned some things that happened in 1978. And they uh, made that office an emeritus status. And they never called anyone else to that office. Which is... Part of the reason the house of God is out of order, because the first presidency took control of the church when it was meant to be shared equally between the patriarch, the president of the church, and the bishop of the church. Verse 93, talking about Haram, and whatsoever he blesses shall be blessed. Oh, whoever he blesses shall be blessed, and whoever he curses shall be cursed, that whatsoever he shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever he shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And now 94. And from this time forth I appoint unto him that he may be a prophet and a seer and a revelator unto my church. So... Hiram Smith, the patriarch of the church, is a prophet, seer, and revelator, as well as my servant Joseph, who is also called a prophet, seer, and revelator. Um, Yeah, so both Hiram and Joseph are considered prophet, seers, and revelators. 95, that he may act in concert also with my servant Joseph, And that he shall receive counsel from my servant Joseph, who shall show unto him the mysteries whereby he may ask and receive, and be crowned with the same blessings and glory and honor and priesthood, and gifts of the priesthood that once were put upon him, that once were put upon him that was my servant Oliver Caldry, that my servant Hiram may bear record of the things which I shall show unto him and that his name may be had in honorable remembrance from generation to generation forever and ever alright so that's the uh, that's that quote that Ogden was or actually it wasn't Ogden because this is an Ogden book right anyway let's see here so the next quote is Doctrine and Covenants section 6 verses 5 and 11 compare with 2 Nephi chapter 4 verse 35 Therefore if you will ask of me you shall receive and if you knock it shall be opened unto you and if thou wilt inquire thou shalt know mysteries which are great and marvelous therefore Thou shalt exercise thy gift, that thou mayest find out mysteries, 
that thou mayest bring many to the knowledge of the truth, yea, convince them of their the error of their ways. Doctrine and Covenants section 6, verses 5 and 11, compare with 2 Nephi chapter 4, verse 35. But I think that's interesting, Mike, that many may know. But then, didn't we just like talk a lot about in the last episode that I did of this podcast where Brigham Young was like, you know, God's not going to reveal anything to you unless you can keep a secret. But now he's saying, you know, get the mysteries and teach the people, basically. I don't know. I find a little bit of a contradiction there. Or maybe it's not a contradiction and I'm just seeing it different. I'm not looking at it at the right, right angle. Anyway, speaking of Brigham Young, the next quotes are from him. Here we go. The name that was given to Adam was more ancient than he was. Absolutely, because Adam is a title and it is the name of God, the Eternal Father. Or that Michael and his wife, Ashura, took upon themselves the name of Adam and Hava, who we call Eve now for some reason, I don't know why. But Adam and Hava are the names of God the Eternal Father and God the Eternal Mother. But continuing on with a quote by Brigham Young, the name Adam was given him because he was the first man, and his new name pertained to the holy priesthood, and as I before stated, it is more ancient than he is. Yep. There are four penile signs and four penile tokens. And should I want to address the throne to inquire after ancient things which transpired on planets that rolled away before this planet came into into existence, I should use my new name, which is ancient and referred to, which is ancient and referred to ancient things. Should I wish to inquire for present things, I should use my own name, which refers to present things. And should I want to inquire of future things, I would use the third name, which refers to the first token of the Melchizedek priesthood, or is the third token that is given and refers to the sun. And that was stated on December 28, 1845. Brigham Young Addresses, Volume 1, page uh, 8, well, Volume 1 from 1836 to 1849. It is edited by Eldon J. Watson, page 89. See also The Mysteries of Godliness, page 84 and 85, for additional information about this topic. In reference to the journal entries by William Clayton and John D. Lee regarding Brigham Young's unique teaching about prayer, also compare with Job chapter 8. Alma chapter 9, and if you're reading along in the book, you can go ahead and find these verses. Doctrine and Covenants section 38, section 88, section 93, section 130, and Moses chapter 1, also Spencer W. Kimball. Oh, wait, not also Spencer W. Kimball. Okay, so he's uh, talking about temple endowment things. Praying in the name of of your new name, or God the Eternal Father. Now it's kind of interesting. I have a new name in the church, 
which I don't, I don't accept. And the reason I don't accept my new name in the church is because it wasn't given by revelation. It was given by a schedule. Everybody that went to the temple on the day when I got my endowment, every man was called Lazarus. Every single man had the new name of Lazarus. And God told me what my new name is, and it's not Lazarus. It's not Lazarus. So I don't accept the authority of the LDS Church, and I've talked about that before. Um, I've talked about that before, like why I don't accept the authority of the LDS Church. Because they were cursed and rejected. I don't accept the authority of Brigham Young or John Taylor or Wilfred Woodruff, Lorenzo Snow, he, uh, Joseph F. Smith, Heber J. Grant, George Albert Smith, David O. McKay, all of them. All the way up to Gordon B. Hinckley, Thomas Monson, Russell M. Nelson. I don't accept their authority. And I don't accept the authority of some some church leader deciding to, instead of giving new names by inspiration and revelation, just name everybody the same name that comes to the temple that day. And it didn't matter what temple they were at. Anywhere on earth, if it was the same day, everybody on earth that was getting their endowments that day got the name of Lazarus. Which is interesting, because that's the Greek transliteration of Eleazar. Like Lazarus in the Old Testament, or in the New Testament, you know, the one that was raised from the dead. His name in Hebrew wasn't Lazarus, it was Eleazar. But it doesn't matter, you know. But God did give me a new name. And I'm not going to tell people what that is. But my new name in the church was Lazarus. So I kind of like, oh, that's an interesting thing. And it kind of fits with me, you know, coming back from the dead and being a beloved disciple and friend of Jesus Christ. I think it works. Anyway, getting back to this reading, Spencer W. Kimball stated, I have always loved the story of Enos, who had great need, like all of us, for none of us is perfect, and he had strayed. How dark were his sins, I do not know. But he wrote, I will tell you of the wrestle which I had before God, before I received a remission of my sins. The account is graphic and his words are impressive. Behold, I went to hunt beasts in the forest, but he took no animals. He was searching his soul, reaching, knocking, asking, pleading. He was being born again. He would have lived all his life in the in a weed patch, but he sought a watered garden. After a lifetime of prayers, I know of the love and power and strength that come from honest and heartfelt prayer. I know of the readiness of our, our Father to assist us in our, in our mortal experience, to teach us, to lead us, to guide us, 
Thus, with great love, our Savior has said, What I say unto one, I say unto all. Pray always. And if we will do so, we shall gain for ourselves personal personal knowledge that our Father in heaven truly hears and answers prayers. This knowledge he wanted each of us to have. Seek it, my beloved brothers and sisters. Seek it. Enzyme, October of 1981, pages 3 through 6. Now, real quick, I, I, you know, I, so, yeah, I don't look at Brigham Young all the way to Russell M. Nelson as the Lord's anointed, but I think that there's a lot that they, as, as children of God, like we all are, can share with us things of insights, and they might not get it all right, but like, we can still hear them because we don't have to worry about whether they get it all right. Or if they're all wrong together, if we have a personal relationship with God, we can hear what they have to say, and we can take it to God and know the truth, and we don't have to rely upon the arm of flesh. And I really like what Spencer Kimball said there. There's some things about Spencer Kimball I did not like, but it doesn't matter. That's between Spencer Kimball and God. I don't have to accept him or reject him, but I can hear his words and take it to God and find out how true they are. And that man lived a long life. He knew things because he spent his time in prayer and pondering. He... had learned line upon line, precept upon precept. And I want to hear anyone who knows the voice and will of God. And even if they don't, if they have studied things out and they are thinking about things, I want to hear what they have to say because it might lead me on a path that I might find hidden treasures of knowledge. Now, I don't accept Denver Sneffer as a true prophet either, but do you know Denver Sneffer? He introduced me through his podcasts to section 124. Of course, Denver says it's Jesus that has to come give the Melchizedek priesthood. And for a time, I was like, oh, I never even thought of that before. And I was like studying it out by myself. And then I realized it's not, Denver's not, He's not telling the truth here. Jesus Christ is telling Joseph that that the Father must come, the Most High. Jesus is telling Joseph that he, the third person, must come, the Father. And then knowing that I have seen the Father and the Son face to face in it, that in order to have be able to be in the presence of the Father, you have to have the Melchizedek priesthood. I knew that the fullness of the priesthood, which Denver Sneffer claims is the Melchizedek priesthood, that that 
in order to be in the presence of the Father, you have to have the Melchizedek priesthood, and I had to have the I had had the Melchizedek priesthood. Do you know that Denver Snuffer claims that he's been in the presence of the Father as well? I don't know if he does anymore now that he's on this kick with uh, DNC Section 124 and how the church doesn't have the Melchizedek priesthood, which shows that he's an abject liar. Because in order to be in the presence of the Father, you have to have the Melchizedek priesthood. Not just a vision. Okay, Joseph Smith had a vision. You can't be in the physical presence of the Father unless you've had the fullness, or unless you've had the the Melchizedek priesthood. And in order for him to give it to you in that temple in Nauvoo, you have to have the Melchizedek priesthood. So when people are like, well, the Melchizedek priesthood was taken away in 1838 at the Isaac Morley farm or whatever it is that they've come up with. You can know it's a lie because in order for those people in Nauvoo to even be able to come into the presence of the father, for them to receive the fullness of the priesthood under his hand, as Jesus said, said had to happen, they had to have the Melchizedek priesthood. But Denver Sneffer teaches these lies, and he's a Judas goat. He is leading the people astray in key points of doctrine and giving them something, a lot of truth, but also a lot of error, and causing them to stop in their progression towards Zion's redemption. Oh, we have to wait. We have to wait. We have to wait. We can't build a temple. We can't do all the things. You know, in Isaiah 35, it talks about the temple being in the wilderness, being a tabernacle where God will restore and redeem his people. It's not going to be in a a man-made, built cinder block temple or whatever. You know, and like another Judas goat, Phil Davis. Oh, yes, he's a Judas goat. He, he teaches that Joseph Smith has returned upon the earth, but that we don't get to see him until everything, like until Zion is, is gathered. But it's Joseph Smith's job. According, okay, they, they say that Joseph Smith is a Davidic servant. He's not. But they say, oh, uh, he's hidden in the palm of God's hand, and we cannot know who he is. Oh, but I do, but I'm se- it's a secret, and I'm not going to tell anybody. Phil Davis will say this. Um, but the, he'll come forward, like, as everything's falling apart. That's That is to help you to be carnal, or to be, to be like, okay, and just sitting there and not not moving forward. Oh, oh, Joseph Smith is a Davidic servant and he will come eventually. I don't need to worry about it. I can follow Phil Davis until until he comes. Phil Davis is a Judas goat. He's like the magician that's keeping your eyes paying attention to one thing while something else is going on. Well, Joseph Smith was a pure Ephraimite. He couldn't be the Davidic servant. When Jesus Christ and Peter, James, and John held the scepter of power, 
when Joseph or when John the Baptist held the scepter of power, they all came from the house of, of David through Judah. But Genesis chapter 49, it talks about the scepter of power shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. Okay, so if Joseph Smith was of a of is a Davidic servant, well, the scepter of power did not depart from Judah when he came. Because Jesus Christ, Peter, James, and John, Joseph Smith, they were all of the house of David. And then Jesus Christ comes back after the Davidic servant does his whole thing, which they're saying Joseph Smith is a Davidic servant. And then Jesus Christ, who is of the house of David, the, the scepter of power never departed from Judah. That never happened. The prophecy never happened. But it did happen because Joseph Smith wasn't of the house of David. He isn't the Davidic servant. He's a pure Ephraimite. And when the scepter of power and the keys of authority departed from Peter, James, and John and were given to Joseph Smith, the prophecy of Genesis chapter 49 is fulfilled. The scepter of power did depart from the house of Judah when Shiloh came. It's Joseph Smith. And whether he returns or not is not a big deal to me because it's not him that is a Davidic servant. He is a pure Ephraimite. Do you see how they lead you astray with false doctrine and key points? You're waiting for Joseph Smith to come back because he's the Davidic servant, according to a whole bunch of people. But he's not. He's a pure Ephraimite. He's not the Davidic servant. And so people are led astray by by many false prophets. Denver Snuffer is one. Phil Davis is another. There's many others. Continuing on. However, it is the sad truth that if prophets and people are unreachable, the Lord generally does nothing for them. Having given them free agency, their heavenly father calls, persuades, and directs all right his children, but waits for their upreaching hands, their solemn prayers, their sincere dedicated approach to him. If they are heedless, they are left floundering in midnight's darkness when they could have the noonday sun. And that's Spencer W. Kimball ends on May 1977, a month before I was born. Page 76. You know, there's been times in my life when I have stopped praying because I'm mad. And I know that Heavenly Father is upset because he likes to have that personal relationship with me. And I believe he wants to have it with us all. You know, if we take the time to turn our hearts to him, he will speak to us. 
one of the things that I used to really like to do was, so I'm a truck driver, and I would spend a lot of time living in my truck, and at, at truck stops, I'd get fuel, and I would go in. After I parked, and I would get a, a shower. And I really like the showers and truck stops, because usually they're clean. I mean, I've been in some pretty bad ones, but usually if you go to a, a decent truck stop, they're going to have clean showers. And I would take my time, and I loved the shower. One reason I loved the shower is because it had never-ending hot water, and there was no time limit. And I could, like, get cleaned off and just let the hot water hit my back and, and clean me off. And then I would get out of the shower, and I would dry off with the towels, and usually they gave us a couple of towels, you know, that were clean, and uh, I would I would put them down on the floor and I would kneel down before God and I would just spend time in prayer. Before I put clothes on, I would be cleaned off and I would just spend sometimes hours in prayer. Not always, because I, you know, if there was a lot of people waiting for a truck stop or for the shower, I wouldn't do that. But I would spend time in prayer. And I just loved it. And I would just talk to Heavenly Father like he is my father, because he is. I don't know if you know this about me or not, but like my grandparents, my grandfather was my only fatherly influence. My dad was a drug addict and my mom left him when I was three years old. My stepdads were alcoholics and they were abusive. My Heavenly Father is my Father. He's my Father. And I spent a lot of time talking to Him and in prayer. And I know that He enjoyed that time as much as I did. And that when I started getting busy in life and getting distracted by the things of the world that he would send me little reminders one time he stuck a song in my head and it's the stupidest song that song it's a pop song it goes we don't talk anymore we don't talk anymore we don't talk anymore the way we used to do and and then he said with with his own voice, he said, and we don't talk anymore. And I was like, I'm sorry. I am so busy and so distracted by the things of the world that I'm not taking time to talk to you. Continuing on with these quotes, we're going to Bruce R. McConkie now. We do not give memorized, ritualistic, or repetitive prayers. We seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit and suit every prayer to the needs of the moment, with no thought of using the same words on successive occasions. But it would be appropriate for us to use words to convey such thoughts as these in our prayers. Father, we ask thee in the name of Jesus Christ, to hear the words of our mouth, to discern 
with thy all-seeing eye the thoughts and intents of our hearts and grant us our righteous desires. We feel it a great privilege to come into thy presence, to bow before thy throne, and to address thee as Father. And we know that will hear our cries. And that was Bruce McConkie, as, as reported by the Enzyme magazine, May of 1984, pages 32 and 33. Bruce R. McConkie also said, In this setting, then seek, seeking to learn and live the law of prayer so that we, like him, can go where he and his father are. Let us summarize what is truly involved in the glorious privilege of approaching the throne of grace. Let us learn how to do so boldly and efficaciously, not in word only, but in in spirit and in power, so that, he, that we may pull down upon ourselves, even as he did upon himself, the very powers of heaven. And that's prayer, Salt Lake City Desert book, 1977, page 8, and that was Bruce R. McConkie. Zebedee Coltrane also said, Once Joseph gave notice to the school for all, all to get up before sunrise, and he's talking about the school of the prophets, so get up before sunrise, wash themselves, and put on clean clothing, and be at the school by sunrise as it would be a day of revelation and vision. They opened with prayer. Joseph gave instruct, then gave instructions to prepare their minds. He told them to kneel and pray with uplifted hands. Brother Zebedee Culture then gave an, an account of the appearance of the Father and the Son as given in the minutes of the meetings of the Third inst- Institute. Jesus was clothed in modern clothing, apparently of gray cloth. He had seen Joseph giving revelations when he could not look on his faith. Face so full was was he, speaking of Joseph, of the glory of God, and the house was full of the same glory. About the time the school was first organized, some wished to see an angel, and a number joined in a circle and prayed. When the vision came, two of the brethren shrank and called for the vision to come closer or they would perish. They were brothers Hancock and Humphreys. When the prophet came in, they told him what they had done, and he said the angel was no further off than the roof of the house. In a moment more, he would have been in their midst. Once after returning from the mission, he, Zebedee Colchin, met Brother Joseph in Kirtland, who asked him if he did not wish to to go with him to a conference at New Pottage. The party consisted of President Joseph Smith, Sidney Rigdon, Oliver Caldry, and myself, Zebedee Coltrane. I hate how he like talks about himself in the third person. It's like, are you really writing this like that? Anyway, next morning at New Port. Portage, he noticed that Joseph seemed to have a far-off look in his eyes or was looking at the distance, at a distance, and presently he, Joseph, stepped between brothers Caldry and Coltrane and taking them by the arm and said, Let, let's take a walk. 
they went to a place where there was some beautiful grass and grapevines and swap beach and interlaced. Joseph Smith then said, let us pray. They all three prayed in turn, Joseph Oliver and Zebedee. Brother Joseph then said, now brethren, you will see some visions. Joseph laid down, down on the ground on his back and stretched out his arms and the two brethren lay on them. The heavens gradually opened and they saw a golden throne and a circular foundation, something like a lighthouse. And on the throne were two aged persons having white hair and clothed in white garments. They were the two, the two most beautiful and perfect specimens of mankind he had ever saw. Joseph said, They are our first parents, Adam and Eve. Adam was a large, broad-shouldered man, and Eve was a woman, as a woman was as large in proportion. Brother Brother Colchin was born September 7th, 1844, and was baptized into the church on the 9th of January, 1831. Meeting adjourned until 3 o'clock this afternoon. Zebedee Colchin remarks, Salt Lake City School of the Prophets, the 11th of October, 1883, page 69. So that was Zebedee Colchin talking about some experiences that he had many, 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 50-something years before. Uh, Zebedee Colchin also said at one of these meetings after the organization of the school, the School of the Prophets being organized on the 23rd of January, 1833, when we were all together, Joseph having given instructions while engaged in silent prayer, kneeling with our hands uplifted, each one praying in silence. So that's the yod position of prayer where you've got your hands yeah, your palms are uplifted, but your elbows are down. No one whispered above his breath. A personage walked through the room from east to west, and Joseph asked if we saw him. I saw him and supposed others did, and Joseph answered, This is Jesus, the Son of God, our elder brother. Afterwards, Joseph told us to resume our former position in prayer, which we did. Another person came through, and he was surrounded with a flame of fire. He, Brother Coltrane, experienced a sensation that it might destroy the tabernacle as it was the consuming fire of the great of a great brightness. The prophet Joseph Smith said that this was the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I saw him. When asked about the kind of clothing the father had on, Brother Coltrane said, I did not discover his clothes, for he was surrounded with, surrounded as with a flame of fire, which was so brilliant that I could not discover anything else but his person. I saw his hands, his legs, his feet, his eyes, his nose, mouth, head, and body in the shape and form of a perfect man. He sat in a chair as a man would sit in a chair, but his appearance was so grand and overwhelming that it seemed I should melt down at his presence. And the sensation was so powerful that it thrilled through my whole system, and I felt in a mar- that in the marrow of my bones 
The prophet Joseph Smith said, Brethren, you are prepared to be the apostles of Jesus Christ, for you have seen both the Father and the Son and know that they exist and that they are two separate personages. This appearance occurred about two or three weeks after the opening of the school of the prophets. After the father had passed through, through Joseph told us to again take our positions in prayer, we did so, and in a very short time, he drew our attention and said to us that Brother Reynolds Cahoon was about to leave us and told us to look at him. He... Brother Cahoon was on his knees and his arms were extended, his hands and his wrist, his head, face, and neck down to his shoulders were as a piece of amber, clear and transparent, his blood having apparently left his veins. Upon attention of the brethren being thus called to Brother Cahoon, the change seemed to pass away, and Joseph said that in a few minutes more, Brother Cahoon would have left us. But he came to himself again. So he was that close to being translated. Zebedee Colchin remarks, Salt Lake City School of the Prophets, 11th of October, 1883, page 58 through 60. William Clayton. The grand key word was the first word Adam spoke and is a word of supplication. He found the word by the Urim and Thummim. It is that key word to which the heavens are opened. That's William Clayton's journal, June 15th, 1844. Let's see here. Hugh when Abraham, according to the old and highly respected source, rebuilt the altar of Adam in order to bring a sacrifice to the Eternal One, as he had been instructed by an angel, he raised his voice in prayer, saying, El, 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 Jael, the last meaning Jehovah. Receive the word of my receive the word of my prayer. Receive the sacrifice which I have made at at the command. Have mercy. Show me. Teach me. Give give to the servant the light and knowledge thou hast promised to send him. Abraham was following the example of Adam, who prayed to God for three days repeating three times the prayer, may the words of my mouth be heard. God, do not withdraw thyself from my supplication. When an angel of the Lord came with a book and comforted Adam and taught him, when Adam and Eve found themselves cut off from the glory of the Lord, according to the intrigue combat of Adam, the intriguing combat of Adam, they stood with upstretched hands calling upon the Lord as Adam began to pray in a language which is unintelligible to us. The so-called Coptic Gnostic writing purports to give us Adam's words on the occasion as being composed of the elements 
Awa and Iol meaning God is with us forever and ever. And though the power of the revelation and through the power of, of revelation, the Jewish traditions indicate that the story is no Gnostic invention. Through the course of mis- the course mysterious, though course of course mysterious named and cryptograms or stuff of on which human vanity feeds, every ambitious secretary would come up with his own words and interpretations, yet though none of these writings may be taken as binding or authentic, taken altogether they contain common elements which go back as far as the Church of the Apostles. When Mary asks the Lord, tell me your highest name, he, standing in the midst of the cloud of light, said, He, Eloi, 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 Aran, 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 Rafan, 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 Rakon, 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 etc., etc. Such mysteries are just the sort of thing unqualified persons love to play around with and various Gnostic groups took fullest advantage of them. But again, the Jews are way ahead of them, as we see in the huge catalogs of mysterious angel, angelic names in such works as Third Epoch. What H. Leclerc calls that magnificent gesture of raising both hands high above the head with with which those in the prayer circle began their prayer was, as he notes, a natural gesture both of supplication and submission, and was specifically a conscious imitation of the crucifixion, and that that brings to mind the significant detail mentioned by the synoptic writer, that the Lord on the cross called upon his Father in a strange tongue. Those who were standing by though Aramaic was supposed to be their native language, disagreed as to the meaning. See Mark chapter 15, verse 33. And indeed, they give many variant readings of an utterance which the writers of the Gospels left untranslated. Our Eli, Eli, Rabbah, Sabachthani. Plainly, plainly because there was some doubt as to its meaning. It recalls the cry of distress of David in Psalms 54, verse 2. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. And on in Psalms 55, verse 1, give ear to my prayer, O God. Attend to me and hear me. My heart is sore pain within me and the terrors of death are fallen upon me. End quote. A person by the name of F. Presequit, I guess, studying the same gesture among the Egyptians, it is none other than the famous Ka gesture, notes that it represents submission, the hands-up position of one of the surrendering on the battlefield 
while at the same time calling the attention of heaven to an offering one has brought in supplication. He also points out that the early Christians used the same gesture in anticipation of a visitation from the heaven, to which they added the idea of an upraised arm of the Savior on the cross. We have already mentioned the prayers of Adam and and Abraham calling upon God in a strange tongue in the midst of darkness and distress. Abraham says, says the Zohar received no message until he built an altar and brought an offering, for there is no stirring above until there is a stirring below. We do not say grace over an empty table or an empty altar. Enoch was another who was, as he prayed, stretched forth stretched forth his arms, and his heart swelled wide as eternity, and to comfort him, God sent him the vision of Noah's salvation. See Moses chapter 7, verse 41. According to First Enoch, Noah also prayed in his distress, calling upon God three times, and saying, Hear me, hear me, hear me. Let us also recall that when Mary led the prayer, prayer circle of the apostles, she, Mary, raised her hands to heaven and began to call upon the Father in an unknown tongue. Suffering is as or is an important theme of the ancient prayer circle. The ride is always related to the crucifixion according to Pulvar, which was anticipated by it in the upper room for care of the Lord's Supper is the idea of sacrifice. The rites, the believer must incur the same suffering as his God, and therefore he must mourn with him. Hence the peculiar passage in Matthew chapter 11, verses 16 and 17. Igneous' letter to the Romans shows that real suffering alone enables one to become the disciple, to learn and gain experience for Ignatius, so that was an early uh, Christian uh, leader in the church. For Ignatius, the believer must repeat the destiny of his God. He must become an imitator of God. Mements, Tao, Fiao. This is done ritually as as plainly stated by Cyril of Jerusalem, the author of the Testament of Jesus Christ, said it above, and that has stretched forth thy hands in suffering, that they might be freed from such suffering by the act of imitation. The clearest expression of the idea is given in the archetype and model of all initiates and supplants, Adam, as he and Eve were sacrificing on an altar with arms upraised, an angel came down to accept the sacrifice, but Satan intervened and smote Adam in the side with a sacrificial weapon. Adam fell on the altar and would have died were it not that God intervened and healed him on the spot. 
declaring that what Adam had suffered so far was acceptable to him as a true sacrifice, being in the similitude of his own offering. Even so will I be wounded. The prayer asks for light and knowledge as well as other aid, and the answer is is a teaching situation. Thus the angels who came down in answer to Adam's threefold appeal, may the words of my mouth be heard, etc., came with a book and comforted Adam and taught him, or in other ver- in another version, Arius, I am reading. You need to stop interrupting. Sorry, that's my three-year-old son. Usually I mute it when he comes in, but I wanted to finish this part. So anyway... In another version, when Adam and Eve prayed at their altar, three messengers were sent down to instruct them. The Lord himself appears to teach Abraham as he is studying the heavens, according to Clement of Alexandria. And the valuable testament of Abraham begins his receiving instructions at an altar on a holy mountain. Surrounded by men whom I will show you. How will they form a circle around you being on the mountain of the altars? Indeed, the main theme of those many ancient writings called testaments and attributed to almost every patriarch, prophet, and apostle of old is the journey of the purported author to heaven during which he receives lessons and the most advanced theology, history, and astronomy. That's interesting. Um, and that was, uh, that comes from uh, Hugh Nibley's book, The Early Christian Prayer Circle, BYU Studies, Volume 19. Um, and I guess that was written 1978, 1979. Let's see. See also Hugh Nibley's Mormonism and Early Christianity, edited by Todd M. Compton and Stephen D. Rick, Salt Lake City and Provo Deseret book. So anyway, that was that was Hugh Nibley. He's pretty deep, but I think it's interesting. So like God's ancient prophets were called up to heaven, and they were taught things and they were shown things. Joseph Smith knew things. We don't know how he knew them. Other than by revelation, right? I've been caught up to heaven many times. In the spirit. In dreams and visions. But God is no respecter of persons. That if we will put forth the work to getting to know him and to have a personal relationship with him I fully believe that he will open the heavens to us that we will have experiences where we're caught up where we're taken in the spirit where we're shown dreams and visions where we'll have the ministering of angels sometimes we might not know who they are sometimes we might exactly know who they are but it doesn't matter God will reveal things to us 
And that if we're not receiving these things, maybe it's just that we're not taking God as serious as we should. Maybe I'm wrong in that, but it's just something to think about. Let's see. All right, so I think this is Hugh Nibley again. And Hugh Nibley's deep, like I said. Column uh, 297 and 298, leaving the glorious garden, they, Adam and Eve, were seized with fear, and they fell downward upon the earth and remained as if dead. While Adam was still in that condition, Eve stretched high her hands and prayed, O Lord, or Jehovah, our Elohim, thy servant hath fallen from the garden and is banished to the desert place. Bereshit, or Genesis chapter 3, verse 18. The next morning, as Adam prayed with upraised hands, Satan appeared to him, saying, Adam, I am an angel of the great God. Jehovah has sent me to you. It was his plan to kill Adam and thus remain sole master and possessor of the earth. But God sent three heavenly messengers to Adam, bringing him the signs of the priesthood and the kingship. And Adam wept because they reminded him of of his departed glory. But God said they were signs of the atonement to come. Whereupon Adam rejoiced. After a 40-day fast, Adam and Eve were very weak, stretched out upon the floor of the caves as if dead, but, but still praying. Satan then came clothed with light, speaking sweet words to deceive them, saying, I am the first creation of God. Now God has commanded me to lead you to my habitation to be restored to your former glory. But God knew that he planned to lead them to faraway places and destroy them. Adam said, who was this glorious old man who came to us? Answer, he is Satan in human form, come to deceive you by giving you signs to prove his bonifies. But I have cast him out. Adam and Eve, still weak from fasting and still praying, are again confronted by Satan, who, being rebuffed, is sore afflicted. Again, Adam and Eve were sacrificing with upraised arms in prayer, asking God to accept their sacrifice and forgive their sins. On the 50th day, Adam, offering sacrifice, as was his custom, Satan appeared in the form of a man and smote him in the side with a sharp stone, even as Adam raised his hands in prayer, raised his arms in prayer. Eve tried to help him as blood and water flowed on the altar. God sent his word and revived Adam, saying, Finish thy sacrifice, which is most pleasing to me. For even so will I be wounded, and blood will, and water will come from my side. That will be the, the true sacrifice placed on the altar as a perfect offering. 
And it was, you know what? It was placed on the altar when they pierced Jesus' side. You remember that earthquake that happened? There was a crack in the ground in Golgotha. And that water, when when Jesus' side was pierced, water and blood flowed down through the crack to where the Ark of the Covenant was and it sprinkled the mercy seat. The blood's still there. The Ark of the Covenant's still under Golgotha. It's still there. And his blood is still alive. Continuing on with this reading. And so God healed healed Adam. And that was Hugh Nibley. Nibley on the Timely and the Timeless. Provo BYU Religious Studies, 1978. All right, so the next chapter that we come to is chapter four, and we'll be talking about the second comforter, and I will not be doing another program this week. Um, I don't know if, I, I know you guys know this, but I'm sick, right? I'm really sick. Um, I think I might even have bronchitis again, but uh, I'm not going to go to the doctor because... I have work to do tomorrow, and I'll just take my medicine, and I'll deal with it. And if I get even more sick, then I'll go to the doctor. <laughs> but, um, yeah, this is the end of my four days off, and uh, it's it's been good. But I've been sick the whole time, ever since I got off the truck. I mean, the first day that I'm off the truck, I'm in so much pain and I'm so tired that I can't even hardly function. But I knew I was sick then, but I didn't realize that it was as bad as it was. And I thought maybe it might just be the cold because, well, one night, Vernal, the high temperature for Vernal that day was four degrees and it got down to 17 below zero. And Roosevelt, where I was working, it got down to 12 below zero. And I don't know what the, excuse me, I don't know what the high temperature was. But a lot of the time when I was out for hours and hours doing my job, I'd be outside and it would be below zero, two, three, five below zero, whatever it was. And uh, luckily I have a... uh, a head shield and then I have these liners that go in my hard hat and I've got a couple of them so what I do is I put them under the heater in the truck and the truck has the heater in it and, and my gloves are under there and the and the 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 hard hat liners under there and when I start to my fingers start to hurt because it's so cold or I start to get a headache, I'll walk over and I'll change out the liner and I'll put the other one that's cold under the heater and and I'll put the gloves under the heater and I'll get some warm gloves. And that's how I'm able to do this job that I do. But um, I thought, well, maybe it's just the effect of the extreme cold, but it turns out I'm really sick. And... Um, 
you know, what are you going to do about it? I don't get sick pay, so I've got to go to work. So anyway, but this will be the last um, program in this, um, you know, for my time off. And uh, I'll post this one at midnight so you guys will hear it tomorrow. It's currently Monday as I'm recording this. I've been laying in bed the whole time. I have my phone recording next to me with my uh, my tablet so that I can see what is, uh, you know, what I'm reading or whatever. So, anyway... I don't know. I'm glad to be in this book. And I hope that you will listen to these podcasts and maybe a suggestion. Read along with these things. Copy and paste some of the quotes that that you find interesting or that you find inspirational in the readings. And like, I will post the the full text to what I'm reading at the bottom in the description of the podcast. So you can go find any of these quotes. Anything I've read today, if it wasn't my own commentary, it is in those, though, it's on that blog, which the description is down at the bottom of the podcast. So, you know, I just... Share, share these quotes with other people. Share the podcast if you want to, but share the posts or that these quotes with other people, so that they can be edified by them as well. So I think I'll uh, I'll end the program for right now. We'll listen to a little bit of this. Gregorian chant and uh, thank you for listening everyone take care God bless and God be with you till we meet again goodbye